Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Eugene. Uh, we're back uh, much sooner than expected with uh, journalist Amy O'Dell. Um, uh, our last podcast was so popular i guess that people have been asking for this one um and we are going to discuss um an appointment of pharrell to louis vuitton welcome amy thank you for having me back i know by popular demand really exciting <laughs> yeah we 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 weren't planning on this but uh, ask and you shall receive um, who so, who could have foreseen that <laughs> this highly anticipated appointment would go to Pharrell? Who would have predicted that? Certainly not me. Uh, me. I was very close. I was very close. Who uh, had you predicted? Uh, so about a year and a month ago, I did a Q and A on the Style Zeitgeist Instagram, and one of the questions was, "Who will replace Virgil?" And I wrote. Um, it's going to be either ASAP Rocky or Travis Scott or Kanye West. And <laughs> it was half a joke, but only half a joke because I could totally see this coming. Um, I don't know why Pharrell didn't jump to my mind because I guess like, I, you know, when I do this Q&A, like they're pretty like off the cuff. So I don't think like mm -hmm. deeply about, but sees yeah i'm i am absolutely uh not surprised yeah what did, what did you think initial thoughts uh you know speaking of kanye i did think maybe if kanye hadn't had such a disastrous um end of last year maybe it would have been him um but I was I was surprised. I wasn't shocked. I was like, oh, um, like this is not really that exciting to me. Um, but it kind of makes sense. Yeah, makes total sense. It makes total sense. And I I want to jump in uh, and discuss your uh, post on your Substack. Um, celebrification of everything because that's really that's really what this is and that is exactly the reason why i answered that question in such a manner uh because it absolutely makes sense so you know first i wanted to get your thoughts of uh celebrification of everything and and i have some thoughts on that as well so uh, can you tell me? Yeah, so uh, basically, I, yes, I wrote a post for my Substack newsletter at amyodell.substack.com, uh, Pharrell for Louis Vuitton and the celebrification of everything, <laughs> just making the point that celebrities have infiltrated really every business sector that involves entertainment or selling consumer products. This is something I've personally experienced as an author who publishes books, as celebrities publish books probably every week. Um, and it's extremely, <laughs> extremely hard for just, you know, regular journalists like me to go up against that. I certainly would not have wanted my last book, uh, Anna, the biography to have come out the same day as spare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you just cannot compete with that level of, uh, name recognition and attention that celebrities get because celebrities drive so much in our culture. I think this is for a couple of reasons. I think one of the problems is really a kind of a broken media industry that we have right now that is so driven by clicks. So writers have to write stories that are going to get clicked on. Quite often, those stories involve celebrities. And also, marketing people and public relations people have to get the attention of editors and writers who are more overworked and under-resourced than ever before. And a celebrity is a good way probably to do that. Um, I'm not saying I think that that's how it is, but this is the reality of media today. And with an appointment like Pharrell, hey, Louis Vuitton can really just easily capitalize on that. I mean, I found out about this in the Wall Street Journal 
which I think they, I think they probably were first, um, which suggests to me, and I don't know this, but it suggests that maybe they heard from uh, bankers or investors, you know, that this was coming. Um, but I think that just shows kind of the ubiquity that celebrities can have. Like if they had appointed um, Grace Wales Bonner, would it have been a big story in the, in the Wall Street Journal? Right, right. I, yeah, I agree with you, Amy, that a lot of it has to do, obviously, with fame and the attention economy and the media that has to write about celebrities, I guess, in order to get clicks, which in turn drives advertising just by juicing their numbers. Um, you know what I was also thinking? Hmm. And I've been thinking about this over the years a lot. Um, one of the reasons everything is we seeing celebrification of everything is because many uh cultural disciplines are easy to fake so like fashion Great is easy point. to fake because mm -hmm. you just hire a team of designers and you come out at the end of the uh, show take a bow you know and take the credit yeah <laughs> um, you can hire ghost writers to write books to your earlier point which is mm -hmm. how celebrity books are produced um, you can kind of fake music using autotune uh, using pre-recorded samples etc so like not really writing music in a traditional sort of you know authorial uh style as like songwriting where you play an instrument and you uh build the narrative with lyrics um you can like act more or less you can be a mediocre actor and still <laughs> like you know you, you can be in a marvel like cgi infused sort of a film or a tv show and be like uh you know, an okay actor, you know, remember the Shaquille O'Neal movies and the Michael Jordan movie? <laughs> Film editing, it can be, yes, a good director, good editing. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I feel like the, ironically, um, maybe I feel like the last, and, and, and because I think we've also, we live in such a, uh, you know, this very postmodernist mentality that uh, uh, talent and beauty is like is entirely subjective. It's all in the eye of the beholder. So we so there's a lot of, you know, on the one hand, it's great and leaves room for argument. And but on the other hand, I think that's where a lot of faking come into play because you can always get a bunch of sycophants to say, like, this was great. You can hire a PR company client journalists and that's how you spread mediocrity so i feel like ironically sports is like the only arena left where you can't really fake it <laughs> yeah i mean you a doping scandal here and there not with withstanding but everything else you can kind of fake the production and you can certainly fake the reception yeah I write about reception in my newsletter a lot too, how celebrities are able, particularly again with media being so weakened by the digital age and uh, needing to chase scale and competing with Facebook and Google for business, um, celebrities really have more uh, leverage in their negotiations with media outlets than ever because they don't need them as much as they used to. They... Um, you know, they can just go on their own Instagrams and say what they want to say and show what they want to show. And many of them have so many more followers than traditional outlets do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but reaction to this was, to be honest, a bit heartening for me because I feel like besides a bunch of uh, rich and famous sycophants, I feel like most people did not really like what happened and, and they were disappointed. Uh, you know, my reaction was <laughs> disappointed, but not surprised. Um, mm -hmm. and, and because I was looking for a lot of comments and like on, on Pharrell's side, it's, it's everyone you expect, you know, like other musicians, 
Um, Mark Jacobs loved it, uh, apparently. It, so these kind of the, the, this 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 rich sycophant club that is where everything is amazing and they all support each other. But most people uh, were kind of disappointed. Yeah, and, and I think the refrain was the same. We have so many talented fashion designers who actually know how to design. Why not give mm-hmm. it to them? And I was even surprised to see, like, so, you know, I contribute to High Snobiety, uh, and I was looking on their Instagram, and most people were expressed the same sentiment. Yeah, I saw a lot of that as well. However, I also think that just building off of the era of Virgil, it was going to be so hard for them to, it was just going to be so hard for them to fill the spot. And um, from a business perspective, I get it. I get what they're coming from. Sure. Um, but yeah, a lot of people were disappointed not to see um, a, a young designer or someone who's been working their way up in the industry get it. I mean, I am too. I always root for the underdog. Pharrell is certainly not the underdog. <laughs> no, 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 he is not. But but even... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, like, I feel like while I fully understand... LVMH making this move. And while I think it could work out for them in terms of what their objective is, which is selling sneakers and shirts, uh, um, mm-hmm. I could also see it not working. Oh, and okay. I think we, there, we, we have a lot of, um, we have some examples of this, uh, of a celebrity coming into a luxury fashion brand and it not working. I mean, the, the long, road of celebrities doing fashion lines is littered <laughs> with like, you know, with body bags, with the, <laughs> the lines we all forgot about. Do you remember Lindsay Lohan 6126 leggings? Uh, no, I don't, but I remember a her Y2K being, relic. No, but I remember her being hired and then fired by Ungaro. <laughs> for like Ungaro. So I wrote about that in 2009. You did? Yeah, I wrote about that in 2009. My headline was Lindsay Lohan's Ungaro debut deemed disastrous. Uh, <laughs> based on what everybody was saying, because she had presented this line. Um, and I, what did I write? I'm pulling it up here. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I don't know if you remember this. I remembered it when I started reading about it, but she had like glitter uh, heart-shaped nipple pasties. Yeah. 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 Uh, and people were just like aghast. <laughs> um, okay. So yes, that's what I wrote. I said, those pasties left several in yesterday's audience, quote unquote, aghast. According to the Times, Women's Wear Daily called the collection <laughs> an embarrassment, adding it looked cheesy and dated with an overworked heart motif. Low in the paper ads failed to infuse the label with a more youthful sensibility, which was one reason Ungaro CEO Munir Mufarij said he hired her. And then I also wrote in this post um, that he was surprised, Mufarij was surprised that the reviews were not worse. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, and that did not last long. And then another example, a more recent example um, and of course we had like Gwen Stefani lamb, which, uh, yeah. I don't, I wouldn't call that luxury. I guess that was more contemporary. It was, it was kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. That basically is just, uh, I think sunglasses now. Um, and then there was Rihanna's line for LVMH, which was yeah. put quote unquote on hold in 2021, uh, during the pandemic. And we've not heard anything about it since, but I, I felt like that line and it's, it's different. I should say, because that was creating a new line versus Louis Vuitton, very powerful, very recognizable heritage brand that's been around for a very long time. So it wasn't like she was taking over something that had existed. It was trying to get a new brand going. So different challenge, but that was pretty short lived. And I, I, my sense of that line was that LVMH just never really gave it what it needed to have a chance. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what I heard. So basically what I heard from insiders 
that after a while, like they, they, they were placing demands on her in terms of like time and effort. And after a while, she was like, you know what? I don't need this. <laughs> I'm, I'm a multimillionaire married to another multimillionaire. I don't need this. Like, you know, she hasn't made, yeah. mu- there's a reason she hasn't made music in six years. And she was like, do I really need to do this? I don't. And so, uh, and they, LVMH remains and key investor in her uh, makeup line, in her lingerie mm-hmm. line, and, and they're making tons of money off of that. So I yeah. think, you know, I think that's all fine. But what you're touching upon is, uh, I, I want to unpack this a bit, because what you're touching upon is that two things. You know, one was, it, it, it was one thing to have, lines that went straight to American department stores and then outlets and then clearance bins, which is like Jessica mm-hmm. Simpson's, you know, line Gwen Stefani's, like Justin Timberlake. Those are all mass sort of you know, like run of the mill going straight to Bloomingdale's and then straight to, you know, Saks off Fifth Avenue and then the clearance bin. Um I think people were up in arms. Uh, and by the way, I think the Olsen twins have learned their lessons from that because remember Elizabeth and James? Mm-hmm. That was one of those lines and it tanked like pretty quickly. And they were like, oh, you know what? We're going to go upscale. That's what we should be serving. And that's how the row was born. Um, so it's one thing to do that. And I think it's another one to give somebody an established uh luxury house uh, yeah so, so that's one thing and that's why i think in 2009 all the editors were so up in arms about this because the sentiment was like come on guys like we need a designer to design uh and only 14 years later we are at a moment where no one really like bad and eyelash people are like yeah this makes sense <laughs> um so so that's one thing and and what i'm trying to say here is that uh i always want to go back and look at the business model right like because mm-hmm. you know everyone's saying this companies needs to do this these companies have an obligation to do that no they don't their only obligation is to sell as much as possible to as many people as possible under the guise of luxury, because these are publicly listed companies, uh, which means each quarter they have to make more money than the previous quarter. And right. I would argue that today brands like Louis Vuitton, they are mass market brands masquerading mm-hmm. as luxury brands. They need the middle class. There, there's just simply not enough rich. There are many more rich people now, but they're simply not enough of them who care about like fashion to to buy all this stuff yeah i you know so i do a series in my newsletter called retail confessions where i interview people who have worked at luxury retail stores like Saks fifth avenue bergdorf goodman and uh i recently did hermes and i spoke to someone who had worked at louis vuitton before Hermes and they were describing the difference and they said that at Louis Vuitton it was all about getting an aspirational customer to buy a speedy bag so these you know people would come in and they weren't necessarily like the one percent or the one percent of the one percent and it was all about really selling to them and this person was telling me that because they were like at Hermes you don't sell you hold back yeah yeah. (laughs) like the Hermes stuff just sells itself and they only I found this so fascinating Hermes will only really wants to sell Birkin bags and Kelly bags and all that stuff to uh, to its top clientele and they look for, you know, the type of person who has a private jet, like the person of that echelon of wealth. Uh, and they think of that customer as the Hermes woman and they just right. want, they want those customers that are going to buy everything. They're going to buy the scarves and the ready to wear and the pillows and the blankets yeah. and the Birkin bags and the diamond Birkin bags. So it's a really different way of thinking about it. So yeah, you're right. Louis Vuitton is is seeking out more of an aspirational consumer who is saving up 
to buy the stuff versus yeah, exactly. just buy, buy, naturally buying every day. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that you know, buying their first, they may it's a young kid who's crunched up five hundred bucks for a t-shirt and doesn't care how nuts it is. <laughs> In, in in you know in, in perspective or who wants to buy a belt and so and that's where pharrell comes in he is going to sell lots of sneakers lots of belts lots of hoodies um lots of t-shirts and this is so yeah it makes total sense so i think the business model has changed and you know the question what is luxury has changed mm -hmm. and there there are always there are only just honestly a couple of brands who can do what Hermes does and it's probably Hermes Chanel and Dior I don't I don't think there are any other brands um you know we're seeing we're witnessing caring trying to go upscale um and sort of grab that market mm -hmm. but for Louis Vuitton it makes total sense Robert Burke said something very telling when they hired Virgil Abloh. Robert Burke was the CEO of Louis Vuitton at, at the time. He basically straight up said, you know what, Louis Vuitton is just a house that knows for making bags, so we can do whatever we want with it. And uh, another thing to note here is that we're talking about menswear and not women's wear. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I'm... Uh, I've been arguing about, uh, arguing, not about, arguing for in the past year is that men's and women's consumer has gotten to be very, very different. So it makes total sense for large brands to have separate uh, creative directors for a men's line and a women's line. Because for the yeah, men's, I feel I like think you, that's don't true. To, you don't really need to design anymore for men's. Yeah, and... It's so, at least with um, Kim Jones at uh, Dior Men's, it's so just collaboration mm -hmm. heavy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just like sort of creating these marketing moments, you know, marketing moment after marketing moment. Um, and I want to go back to something else you you just touched on, which is that, you know, like the the whole point here is to sell things to people. It's not... <laughs> they're not in the business of trying to look for someone who needs a job and being like, Oh, well they really yeah. worked hard and we're going to reward their hard work. That's not, that's not what it's about. I'm not saying that, you know, I think that they conduct business perfectly, but it does remind me of something someone told me when I was reporting my book about Anna Wintour. Um, I had interviewed someone who was an executive at the company and, um, you know, the social justice, uh, stuff was unfolding around 2020 and you know the the building was in upheaval and media was in upheaval um and this person was you know on the outside looking in at this point but had worked there at the height of the company and said it's not a social just it's it's not a government agency it's a for-profit company um i'm not saying that i think that these companies shouldn't have values but i also feel like I'm old enough and not naive at this point, And I don't expect them to have, like, I, I just don't go to them for strong values. I guess I have low expectations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And listen, even worse, all these like values, like feel like if you, if, if we, you know, maybe it's me being overly cynical, but it all seems like marketing exercises to me. And I and I read stuff along the lines. I was like, "Oh, finally, someone said it." I think it was the Economist. In the Economist, when they basically, someone said that basically, like Nike supporting Colin Kaepernick, it was basically they did some math and they said, like, "What's the demographic of our client?" Well, young, urban, mm -hmm. progressive. Um, so, how many of those we're gonna gain if we support Colin Kaepernick, and how many of the like, you know? Uh, cowboys in Idaho are we going to lose, <laughs> right? Like, who probably I think, yeah, it. look, I think that brands and companies need to hire diverse talent. That's not a question in my mind. Um, but, I mean, look, uh, uh, I, like with Kanye West, I mean, his spectacular downfall late last year after his ridiculous uh, fashion show, like that was not 
you know, it was after that that he lost all of his, all of his brand deals with the Gap, yeah. with Adidas, and stuff like that. But his behavior at that fashion show was just, uh, you know, it, like he had been acting in in um, deeply uncomfortable, deeply problematic ways well in advance of that. And yeah, these companies had overlooked it. Why? Because they were selling all these sneakers. Yeah. Adidas, um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they have... They issued a, uh, like a, I forget what it's called, like a revenue note or some type of warning, yeah, some type of financial warning, warning if profit warning. Yeah. That they're going to lose nearly $1.3 billion, I think. Yeah. On the unsold Yeezys. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. yeah there's no question That's there. crazy. It's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Um, do you think, Eugene, do you think that Farrell, who has had a long he has a long history of, of dabbling in fashion. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of different collaborations. Do you think that he is a different sort of celebrity given that he's been, um, gosh, I guess it's been what, like 20 years that yeah. he's been working on fashion lines. I have in my notes, he founded the billionaires boys club with Nigo, who's now at Kenzo in 2003. That was 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and that launched a sub label called ice cream that opened stores in London, Tokyo, New York, Mm-hmm. Uh, he collaborated uh, with uh, Mark Jacobs at Louis Vuitton in 2004 on sunglasses. Those were, I don't know if you remember these, the millionaire sunglasses. <laughs> and those resurfaced in Virgil's debut for Louis Vuitton in 2018. Um, Complex has a post on this that's very comprehensive, which is where I got a lot of this information if you want to read more. Um, and then, oh, I, I think this is funny. So he did a collaboration with Montclair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I guess started in 2010. And this is what Complex wrote. Last year, he was one of seven designers tapped by the Italian label to create his interpretation of the brand's signature Maya puffer jacket, dubbed the Maya 70, to help celebrate its 70th anniversary. It featured a rubberized black body covered with tonal Montclair logos and retailed for $10,645. Yeah, someone will buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Uh, yeah. Some crypto whale will buy it. Um, look, so w- before we get into, uh, style, I'll make one more, uh, one more note. You know, when I made that short list of who's gonna be, uh, appointed Louis Vuitton, uh, so Kanye West self-destructed, uh, Travis Scott also kind of got canceled for a while. It, you know, at least remember that concert disaster. That was a terrible, horrible yeah. tragedy. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know. Asa Praki is a young father now. I think he's like whatever, you know. I'm I'm a dad. I'm he seems very happy. Um, Pharrell is very likable. He seems like a genuine like his public persona at least seems he's like a genuinely nice, likable, polite guy, and that's very attractive. Um, so there's that and yes he was really a pioneer Um, his sense of style and his interest in fashion is genuine because he was a pioneer Mm -hmm. of bringing japanese streetwear uh to uh to america he was uh, he was one of the first american musicians who started wearing bathing ape and he was introduced to nigo and he really like this if you know you know japanese streetwear uh, workwear he he is the one who influenced people like kanye west um so he has a genuine um passion and knowledge he has a great sense of personal style there's no question there Mm -hmm. um but again this doesn't the fashion designer make and so the the biggest complaint against this appointment was what signals does this send to all the aspiring designers who have gone to school in many instances shelled out a lot of money for their education invested time four years of their life sometimes six years of their life so much money effort to actually learn how to make clothes how to design how to create um, and when they're witnessing this, what are they supposed to think? And uh, One Granary, which is a publication from Central St. Martins by the Alms from, from Central St. Martins, they wrote, 
on the IG, uh, luxury houses hire influential creators to solidify their brand with one goal in mind, market domination. It hasn't been about design or even garments for a while now. Once your revenue enters the billions, cultural relevance or artistic statements are no longer a purpose. They're a means to an end. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of heartbreaking to read that. And, and it's true. Um, so, but you know that that's true. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, ev- everyone. Yeah, the same way I know that that's true. Yeah. I mean, the same way that I know that, you know, writing articles is about getting clicks, not doing your best writing. And uh, I mean, for, for many websites, um, yeah. <laughs> that writing books, it's not about writing the best book. It's about selling the most books. Um mm. <laughs> you know, right. in, in many cases, and there's exceptions, sure, there's exceptions. But yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think that there is such a difference. And, and anyone who's ever had the experience, I think of working for, let's say, a small startup versus a big corporation has kind of experienced, um, right. you know, how different it is when you get to this big corporate level. And I think that that's also why we see like, um, uh, perhaps I I don't know if it's right to call them these idealistic kids on TikTok. And I know you're not on TikTok, (laughs) (laughs) but I am. Um, But there's a lot of, you know, young fashion content creators who continually lament what Maria Grazia Chiri is doing at Dior or what Mm -hmm. Virginie Bayard is doing at Chanel because they want it to look like Theory Moogler. I think they want it to look like Lady Gaga in a meat dress. And it's kind of like, guys, like she's got to sell skirts. She's got to sell shoes. (laughs) Um, And, you know, from what I hear, again, from retail salespeople is that these designers are really selling. They are. And I also think it's incredibly impressive for both of those women in particular that they're both mothers in midlife. We -hmm. just don't see a lot of people like that in these jobs. Um, And I I think that it's great that that they're there. And um, I can't imagine the kind of push pull that they're up against, you know, be creative, but also you got to sell. You know, yeah. you got to sell the bag, so don't be too creative. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, think of exactly. all the, you know, LVMH, huge, con- huge conglomerate LVMH. Think of how many, like, you know, cooks are probably in the kitchen. Like, who are, who do you have to satisfy? Like, they're probably looking at your sales and, you know, the same way. Mm. Like, I know when I was an, uh, an editor at websites, people were looking at my traffic and telling yeah. me to make decisions based on that versus editorial judgment. Right. Um, and I, you know, I used to think when I was an editor, like, okay, if you really just want the clicks, you don't need me. Yeah. Anybody can get you the clicks, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. like if you, if you want something, you know, if you want voice, if you want perspective, if you want some something a little bit more special, then that's what I can do for you. And I can get you the clicks. But if you just want the clicks, you just, you don't need me. Um, anyway, yeah. but I, I, I do think Pharrell, yes, to your point, he has a lot to offer. He has been a pioneer. I think he, he does understand fashion. I, he did have a, a, I don't know if I would call this a, a controversy, a dust up recently with his Tiffany sunglasses. Did oh. you... Uh, no, recall this as you were reading about him uh-uh. <laughs> do you know the diamond so the diamond rimmed uh sunglasses that he's been wearing quite a bit yeah. over the past year and he, that, the photo of him wearing those glasses was used in a lot of articles about the louis vuitton appointment uh so those were like a tiffany um something that he made in collaboration with tiffany but when Women's Wear Daily first wrote about them about a year ago, he wouldn't call them a collaboration. He was like, something's coming with Tiffany. Mm. Nothing ever seems to have come, but he's been wearing these glasses. Um, <laughs> poor Tiffany also dealing with the fallout of those Nike shoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, people online noticed that the glasses uh, resembled a 17th century pair mm. um, that had gone up for auction at Sotheby's of Indian origin. And people were upset that, uh, you know, they seem to have been inspired by this. And if they were, that was never acknowledged. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, honestly, that doesn't really bother me. I mean, it's not okay. He liked something and he was like, oh, we should make something like that. I don't see He might it. not even know. I mean, who knows? I, I, yeah, I yeah. do think if that was the inspiration, it's the right thing to do is to give the credit. Yeah. But I also, it's not the same as since it's a 17th century antique, basically. Yeah. It's not really the same as knocking off like, you know, some little tiny art students 
company that nobody knows about. Exactly. Exactly. Also, I don't I feel people who are up and armors about these things, they don't know how fashion works. If you guys knew how much quote unquote inspiration is in the studios, and it's and in many instances it's okay because it is incredibly hard to make something genuinely new. You know, it's not impossible, mm-hmm. but today so much has been made. You know how much stuff they buy at vintage markets, literally take it apart and recreate maybe with slight tweaks, how much they now go to these like archival places and look at archives of designers like Helmut Lang, like they rent clothes from them, take it apart, copy the patterns, put it back together. I mean, you know, un- unless it's like egregious, like copying, like Heider Ackerman copying Yurgi Persoons recently, like, this, this is what happens, and it's fine. Like, I think people who are up in arms are mostly those who are just, like, quick to judge and don't understand um, how this works. Yeah, well, I, I'm glad you brought all that up, but um, I love Heider Ackerman. But Virgil, was he was called out. Oh, he's so good, Heider. Uh, Virgil was called out repeatedly for copying, and yeah. he denied it, at least in one interview that I saw. He denied it, uh, but, like, Diet Prada would would do little side-by-sides like Mm -hmm. um i don't have any of them in front of me but they they did that a number of times uh you know calling virgil out for for copying but i don't know i mean he and he never he never called himself a designer he studied engineering and architecture in school his mother was a seamstress and he learned about sewing from her but he um he was never he he was never out there saying like you know I'm really good at pattern making and uh, right, right. <laughs> like this is my training. He he really I think was a cultural omnivore who took what he saw and what he felt was relevant and turned it into these runway shows that really I think delighted a lot of people. And um, I think it seems like his stuff did sell. Uh, yeah. I did pull I did pull a little section from a 2017 profile of Virgil from New York Magazine, which is very good. Uh, you can, you know, look it up online and read it by Carl Swanson. Um, and, uh, let me, let me just read you this part. Cause I, I think it's, it's really interesting. He is always in pursuit of what comes next multitasking to the point of distraction. This is a quote. I'm not paying attention, but I am listening. He tells his friends that said, quote, fashion is kind of a joke. He says, quote, I don't get too bogged down in the clothes. For me, it's one big art project, just a canvas to show that fashion should have a brand, which has someone behind it who cares about different contexts, social things, quote, this authenticity hunt more than anything else about Ablo seems exhausting, <laughs> a boundaryless focus group, <laughs> DM him <laughs> and quote, brands try to have a voice on social media observes someone else who's interviewed for this story and it never works because it is never real. It comes from a branding machine with off white. It's all Virgil, Virgil's voice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly who he was. And I mean, look, have a lot of to say about Virgil, but whatever, it's not, it's a topic for another conversation. I, you know, but yeah, he, not at the beginning, but eventually he kind of decided that, you know what, I'm just going to own the fact that, I'm not an original and I take like other people's stuff and tweak it and put it out. Um, and it was the right, it was the right thing to do. Um, I mean, it's, it cuts both ways uh, because he's become such an inspiration to so many people, but also he made it look easy <laughs> and it's not. Uh, and I think down the line, Virgil is going to be indirectly responsible for a lot of streetwear lines who, uh, you know, came on the scene and then went out of business a year later um, because there are a lot of kids who are like, oh, well, this looks easy. And it is incredibly hard, incredibly hard. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think I think what's going to happen with Pharrell uh I think they're just going to put a great team around him and he's going to check in a couple of times a year, probably before the show and and say like, oh yeah, you know, this is cool. Let's do that. I don't see, like Kathy Horan said uh, at the cut, I was kind of surprised by her blasé reaction, but I think it's also a sign of many journalists, just especially veteran journalists, like 
uh, Horan, who just have give like slowly giving up on the whole enterprise of fashion as being this like incredibly creative, intel in intelligent discipline. So she wrote. Um, Williams is no doubt a man of ideas with a feeling for the zeitgeist, but perhaps the real test is whether he can dedicate himself fully to being a creative director of a luxury goods house. Um, his resume suggests he excels at doing many different things, obviously doing collabs, but being a creative director at rent the size of Vuitton is enormously demanding if he is to create a new and distinctive ethos and not simply a series of high moments. And I was like, uh is it a demanding job anymore because i just don't see him with everything else sitting at a studio and being in paris for months on end i i think she kind of missed the point here of, of what happens with these celebrity appointments now i think that she's right though in that yeah if you're gonna do it well it does require that attention I, I just don't see Pharrell You don't think doing, so? I, no, no, I don't see no. him do I don't. I agree with you. I don't think he's going to be in there every day. I mean, we could be wrong. We don't know. But um, I also wondered, I wondered how long the contract is for. Probably a standard three years. Um, you think it's three? Yeah, uh, probably. Uh, I'm also curious, how much do you think he's getting paid? Any guesses? Oh, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I actually sounds. I'm almost embarrassed to say this. I didn't even like. I don't even think about what these people make. I assume they're well compensated, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I assume they have bonuses based on sales and stuff like that. Yeah, I was thinking probably like twenty five million a year is probably base. That'd be a lot. Yeah, I have. And maybe then a percent. I don't know. Um, and do you come up with that figure based on what you know about what other people make, or you're just guessing? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Someone told me supposedly um, Ralph Simmons was getting 18 million a year at Calvin Klein. Okay. So I'm thinking 25, maybe a percentage of sales. And, and I do think 25 is like for showing up four times a year, <laughs> like a week in Paris yeah. and saying, yeah, okay, yeah, this is fine. You know, this looks good to me. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Well, he just has um, so much to do, right? I mean, there's all this other stuff. Yeah, he's a busy man. And, you know, like we should also say, people do think he's a musical genius. Yeah. yeah. So um, you have to give him give him that. Uh, he's a talented person. Uh, you know, it's funny, a friend of mine who's really anti-celebrities in fashion, anti-celebrities in beauty, texted me and was like, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I think Pharrell is going to be really good. And I bought his skincare line because I thought the packaging was just so beautiful. <laughs> there we are. So, yeah, I mean, what hope do we have for a regular person? A regular person is... Well, okay. So I did see people on on Twitter and the internet, whatever, saying, you know, I thought like this doesn't make sense because look at Gucci. They promoted... Um, uh, I, I don't what his position he was under Michele the mm -hmm. new designer for Gucci is that right yeah so, he was at he was at Valentina am I wrong? before I'm oh, sorry was he was at Valentina he was director at Valentina yeah excuse me so he went from it's Valentina me. to Gucci but he was someone who had worked his way up Alessandro Michele was someone who, who had worked their way up um you know there are many examples Virginie Vallard I think started mm -hmm. interning for Karl Lagerfeld at Chanel in the 80s and she's worked her way up. So there are a lot of examples of people who have worked their way up. And I guess, you know, my thought is that it's, this is one appointment. And I don't think that we can be like, oh, there's a trend one way or the other in the broader fashion industry. I think that this is not something maybe where we should even be looking for trends. Like, yes, right. let's say Pharrell is super successful. And then all of a sudden, every men's label appoints celebrities and their creative director spots. And then it trickles over to women's. Then I would call it a trend. But I wouldn't right. say that this is like a trend in fashion, I would just say that this is typical of the time we live in when like celebrities, just like everything is about celebrities for better yeah. or worse. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, again, I think uh, men's is easier to fake than women's. And like, I, I want to be, again, like people, I, I want people to be cognizant and where, where men's 
high fashion, whole so-called luxury fashion is now is an elevated version of streetwear for the most part. And Pharrell is great at that. Uh, you know, number two, there are only a handful of uh, brands who can pay a celebrity. <laughs> I mean, like it's a lot of money to pay a celebrity. So yeah. I don't think anyone besides like the top five can afford to pay a celebrity. I think caring is much more shrewd in that way. They probably... Like you know, you you get someone fresh and young. You don't have to pay them a lot of money. Uh, you get someone like Pharrell, unless he's doing it just just to do it because it's kind of cool and prestigious. Um, that's the only reason I could see why he may be not getting paid. But I think he's gonna get paid a ton of money. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, men's and women's is different. What what is disheartening a, a bit is that this idea of only a celebrity now can cause that kind of shift in fashion and it's simply not true you know a designer can do that right like tom ford has done it eddie sliman has done it um and eddie sliman has done it in in menswear remember that moment when Mm. eddie sliman started doing dior own guys whose um like pinnacle of fashion was like Hugo Boss, they would run and buy Dior. Mm -hmm. Like I've never seen anything like that. So, you know, it it is is possible. And also I will go out and I will disagree a bit with people who were clamoring for um, Martin Rose or Grace Wales Bonner uh, to take over or, or, um, uh, or uh, Telfar. I, I don't think those designers are talented enough to take on a brand like Louis Vuitton. I think they're good at what they do in their respective niches, but this is a completely different corporate Titanic that they have to keep <laughs> keep steering. Um, so, and it's it's another wider point. I don't think there are that many young designers who are actually that talented. I've been, we, I feel like we've been promoting mediocrity for so long that I wouldn't be surprised if the guys at um, at LVMH were like, I mean, are we going to like? Are, are those designers going to bring us the kind of numbers that we need? Like, they they they're doing uh, risk analysis over there, right? It's it's mm-hmm. a corporate exercise in risk analysis. So I get that there are, but there are like other who t- very talented design. I don't know, like Ricardo Tichy is without a job, right? Like could have hired yeah. him. He is the one who did elevated streetwear first in, you know, in, in the first place, like before Virgil and Kanye. He is the one who made yeah. it uh, okay for people to drop $700 on the sweatshirt. Burberry was not the right fit for him. Yeah, but I agree. No. I, I Oh, I loved his Givenchy collections. Those were such a moment. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of talented designers. I loved Claire yeah. Wade Keller at Givenchy too, actually. What happened to her? What's she doing? Uh, um, she's probably retired. And then again, I think they're also seeing like um, Matthew Williams from Alix. Like he's not doing well at Givenchy. You know, he's struggling to, uh, which again, the point is like, it's hard to give someone who is not a trained designer who whose aesthetic is maybe excellent but narrow you know to give to give someone like that a couture house it's a completely different completely different beast so i'm i'm yeah. not surpri- i'm not surprised uh i'm you know i also ex- think it's sorry sorry for cutting you off i okay. i think it's worth just you know quickly talking about what it really takes to succeed as a fashion designer and what it takes to launch a label. And I think what it takes, unfortunately, is for many people, privilege and personal wealth. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, it's very, very hard. You know, who's going to give you the money to start your fashion line? Mm -hmm. And there's not that many. I, I think a lot. Of, there's a lot of examples of people who get money from their families. It doesn't mean they're not talented. Some yeah. of them are really good. Some of them make really good use of that investment. We see this across industries, not just fashion, oh, but I yeah. think in fashion in particular, it's just so so hard to start a, a clothing line and make it, it successful. Is. And and um, you know, it's like the talent pipeline. I. I, I it, it's just so, it seems so daunting to me, it's <laughs> you know, you're in fashion daunting. school and you want to have a line and you maybe don't have rich parents. What are you going to do? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You got to go and get a job and yeah, honestly work your way up. So it's, yeah. it's really tough. I mean, we see this in, in, in publishing, like, um, you know, where people with family connections can get these jobs or never that many jobs to oh, begin with. Yeah. And yeah. So wasn't it like the get an internship at Vanity Fair? You had to have like Graydon Carter's secretary's phone number. Like otherwise, there was no. Way I never heard there. that. <laughs> I, I have. I have. I don't know. I just remember when I was in journalism school because I come from Austin, Texas, and my dad was a math professor. My mom was a consultant for um, businesses in the area, and. I had no connections <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. And I, I remember just applying for so many internships and just hearing nothing back. And I didn't realize that that's kind of what it would be like to um, be a writer in, I don't know, the 2020s yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> when uh, you're still trying to do stuff and nobody replies to you. Just But now, not because you're not anybody, but because everyone's too overworked to reply yeah. to you. Yeah. And uh, listen, and on the celebrification and everything and on our industry, I'm just going to put it on the record. And I've said it before. Mark my words. Rihanna is going to be the next editor of Vogue when Anna goes. This is my prediction. I want Ooh, it on record. That's a bold prediction. Yeah. That's it's, a very bold Rihanna, prediction. Rihanna, Beyonce. When, oh, wait. You know. But when do you think um, Anna is going to retire? Uh Oh, I, well, I don't think she's going to retire. I think she's going to do a Carl Lagerfeld. And not ever retire? Mm -mm. Or not ever, not even like um, put someone in her job and take a chairmanship role or something like that? Maybe, but, but I think it's going to be probably when her health starts to ail. I just don't see her. Um, she's become such a character and it's such a ego trip power position to have i i don't it should doesn't seem like and i mean you know much better than i do <laughs> having written her biography uh, but she doesn't seem like the type of person who will just step aside and like go raise chickens in hudson valley you know yeah, <laughs> that's true. She's not that type of person, but she doesn't talk about herself. So people think that she has a plan for her retirement from Vogue, but only she knows it. And she's very good at, at keeping things quiet. Um, yeah, she doesn't I, like talking about herself. Sure. So it's long been a sensitive subject for her, I know. Um so yeah, and I, I'm hesitant to go on the record with any prediction about when she'll go, just because I I just I know that like really probably nobody knows. But um, I will say, you know, she's 73, and if she stays past 75, that would be a really big deal because the oldest editor in chief of Vogue retired at 75, like in history. Mm -hmm. So she would set a new record for being the oldest. Yeah. And she's gonna, anyway. and she's gonna want to do it. She's gonna want to do it. She's gonna want to beat that record. It, it it doesn't seem about the money or influence anymore. It's like some kind of a power trip that. Uh, oh, know, I think she has influence. I yeah. I do. Yeah, no, uh, well, of course, of course. I'm I'm not saying it's not about those. Thing. Yeah, I guess it's power and influence. Um, and I, you know, I have a feeling she genuinely loves it. Yeah, that's true. I, I believe that too, based on my does. interviews. Yeah. yeah, that's what people yeah. say. So, um, but anyway, to go back to but our she, subject, yeah, yeah. So bringing it back via Anna Winter, my favorite. Um, <laughs> she is someone who part of her legacy will be that she brought celebrities and fashion together. She really did, and you know, she put Madonna on the cover of Vogue in 1989, and yeah. that 
began the wave of getting first we had the celebrities on the magazine covers and then we had celebrities in the perfume ads and then we just had celebrities making the perfumes you know and that really all I think she gets she should get a lot of credit for that for better and for worse and the Met Gala is the great manifestation of entertainment world you know the Venn diagram of entertainment and fashion overlapping that's the Met Gala um and she she you know the Met Gala used to be society figures you know, just wealthy old money giving, you know, paying to go have a nice night at the museum. And then the money goes to the costume Institute, whatever, whatever, which is a place where designers also go to find things that they can copy for their collections. Um, but she, she got rid of those people from the Met Gala and she brought in all celebrities. Yeah. So the socialites are not there anymore. And, and she, you know, she deserves a lot of credit. I'm sure she got a call. I don't know this, but I feel it's quite quite likely that she got a call about who should get the job. And I, I wonder what, what her, what she suggested and, um, what she thinks of, of Pharrell. Probably. Yeah. But also, again, I, this is the new aristocracy. Celebrities are the new aristocracy. There is, forget this, this whole, like that old money thing that that's, it's not that it's dead. It's very well alive and kicking, but it's not, it's not the new aristocracy. This is why, you know, Harry and Meghan Markle abdicated because they were like, in this culture, fuck this. Like, we're the new royalty. We don't need to be at the Buckingham Palace. We're going to do it way faster than, than, than waiting for uh, our predecessors to, you know, to pass. We, mm-hmm. We're going to be celebrities. We're the new royalty because they see you know, entertainers at new royalty. So on that topic, we can maybe segue back to Pharrell. Uh, yeah. Also royalty. I, I wanted, if you have a little more time, I just wanted to read out a few uh, reception from our colleagues in the media. And I wanted yeah, to, go ahead. to get your take. Um, so first one, I was kind of surprised that Vanessa Friedman didn't say anything in the New York Times. There was hmm. nothing from her. Um, and another one, Joe Ellison from Financial Times, she said, she lamented, like, you know, what of the fashion students at London Central St. Martin's can you hear my daughter? Uh, yeah. <laughs> she it's just okay. came home and I, I she uh, okay. can't, she normally comes in to see me and I said she can't do that. She's very upset. So, uh, okay. Well, she's going to a... go, she's going to go upstairs. <laughs> I'll, it's fine. It's part of the pod. That's why pods are great. <laughs> working from, hashtag working from home. Hashtag, yeah, yeah work from home. Um, <laughs> and Joe Ellison at the Financial Times just said, you know, Williams's appointments bring with it a tacit acknowledgement from a house that has long promoted the narrative of, of self-affairs and craftsmanship that when it comes to customer engagement, celebrity wins out. But what of the fashion students in London Central, Central St. Martins now financing the details of their graduate shows? Who do they look to for inspiration when it's palpably obvious that experience and training will run a distant second in your employment prospects to the millions of followers you can amass. Why bother racking up student debt if you can go viral with a video? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what we talked about. Um, I think it's really hard to... (laughs) I'd rather have the, for my own, like... um, I don't know. I feel like it's easier to have a degree and go and get a job and just do it the old fashioned way versus like try to go viral. Like, I don't think that like influencing and going viral is, is yeah, such a surefire thing at all. Yeah. 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 It's true. Um, no, I agree. I agree. But I'll, I'll I, do I see what they're her. saying. I absolutely yeah, see what yeah. they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I, th- I think you made a really great point. Okay, these are moments. Like, let's not get tied up in moments. Let's look at the bigger picture. Like, let's look at the statistics. And, and maybe, look, and, and that's another thing I keep talking about. Like, I, I'm very sorry to tell you, dear fashion students, dear children who are, you know, screen, screen printing T-shirts in the garage, not everyone, like some of you are going to fail. Not everyone is meant to have a fashion line. Yeah. That's just the reality. And, and, and I think people should be realistic about that. 
uh, not everyone is talented enough to have a fashion line. And also life is not fair. Um, if people knew how many like that's the big one <laughs> how many how many scripts are languishing in Hollywood that will never see the light of day? How many amazing ideas don't see the light of day? How many talented writers don't get the books published? That's just the reality and 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 I know how it sounds, and believe me, I'm not speaking from a position of privilege, trust me. I, I've had my glass ceilings and I still have them. And it's just the reality I have acknowledged. Not saying give up, but I'm saying be cognizant. Like, not not everyone's going to have a fashion line. Maybe some lines on, don't deserve to exist and they're not that good. Um, so that's just failure is kind of part of life and, and it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, whether you're in fashion or not, I think every industry has examples of people who have risen to the top without seeming to be the most talented people. I think every single person in every single industry can think of examples of that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's an exa- that's life isn't that's sure. life not being fair or you know maybe someone's better at self-promotion and that got them to the top. But yeah. yeah. Uh, I think every industry is unfair, life is not fair. Yeah. Um the last one I want to read out before we go and it's the one I think that's uh what hit home for me the most because I do think uh the biggest loser here is fashion as a creative discipline fashion at large the more people we hire the more people they hire i guess as creative directors of houses who are not trained as designers who don't have a vision that's radically new the more fashion as a discipline will stagnate that for me is the problem number one right now is how generic things have been getting like it's never we've never seen so much fashion and it's never been so unexciting it feels mm. like and that's what the robin Givon uh wrote in, in um, washington post just said not hiring a designer suggests that a pure designer that is someone who had committed themselves to both the technical aspects of fashion as well as its creative expression couldn't deliver what the company wanted a pure designer was not enough. The shift has taken a bit of the magic out of fashion. It has removed any pretense of intimacy and limited personal expression. It's all about product and messaging. The creative director has been absolved of needing design training. Times change, fashion moves along too, but with the selection of Williams, fashion deflated just a little bit more. Not because he's untalented, but because the choice is uninspiring. Net to me sort of like summarizes my feelings also. She's so good. <laughs> she is. I always turn to give on <laughs> to Robin Givon for for takes on these things. That's that's just such a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, but wait, let me yeah. ask you this. La- yes. Last thing I'll ask you, Eugene, because um, we should wrap up. But what what was the last exciting show that you remember? Like, if you could. Um, I don't know, bring something, bring a collection or a moment forward to the present day. Like, like when were things really good? You know what I was revisiting after our last episode on Temna and Balenciaga is the old Balenciaga collections with Nicola Gesquier. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That. I remember. And I forgot, <laughs> I forgot how, how many of those looks I remember, I remembered to be honest with you, which I think yeah. is a sign of a great designer, someone who did, did stuff that you remember. And that's what I think about with like covers and fashion photography exactly. too. Like, what do I remember? What am I going to remember? Exactly. And I remembered so much of what he did there. And I don't know what happened. I, I don't exactly. know what happened. And he's at Louis Vuitton now. And I, I don't, I, I, I think that what he did at Balenciaga was so much better i I think he's so talented that the vuitton stuff has never really gelled for me what do you think of oh god (laughs) so much (laughs) i can't bring like every single alexander mcqueen collection back under mcqueen um lots of what galeana has done um mid-career recallings uh like early undercover jun takahashi there's there's so much helmut lang i mean come on you know those like 
early 2000s Hal McLean, uh, Margiela. There's so much, and and it's it's funny you should say that because I wrote about exactly this um, just about a month ago. I want to say maybe even less how. Uh, primacy, like this cult of personality, has been trumping the actual fashion output. Like, like what do we think? What, like, like what do we remember from Tom Ford? Nothing. But we remember Tom Ford. You know, what do we remember? Like from someone like Lagerfeld. Like all the Chanel collections were absolutely interchangeable, but Lagerfeld like loomed so large uh, in everyone's consciousness. So, so there have been these personalities and, 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 you know, to maybe to neatly tie it back, this is exactly what we are talking about with this appointment. It's a personality trumping, um, fashion. Yeah. There are some personalities that can do both. Like I remember a lot of Mark Jacobs, um, you do see see i don't stuff, remember actually. anything <laughs> see i don't oh, remember i do anything maybe right. i just i i yeah. just i really still love his shows and um yeah. yeah i remember i remember clothes from him okay. um yeah what about versace gianni i mean yeah yeah i mean i both, never liked both. it yeah yeah no no, no it's not sure. your taste but yeah yeah for, <laughs> for sure a fashion designer par excellence there's there's no question about that yeah, but but um, yeah, but it really hasn't felt very exciting for a while now, and I think part of it is because it's there's too much stuff, there's, way too much. Yeah, so way too much. Anyway, I think they're going to make bank, and uh, that's what they hired Pharrell to do. Uh, we're going to see lots of elevated streetwear again. Um, and, and it's okay. It's kind of, I think like the sooner we acknowledge that it is what it is and maybe concentrating on supporting real talent instead, you know, as far as design goes, um, maybe that's the way out. That's what there I've needs to be, a, yeah, there needs to be a better way to to help the young talent come up. And I don't think it's just like, put on a fashion week show that that just that doesn't know no yeah it's it's super super hard it's super yeah and that's the most disheartening thing is like how are young designers supposed to compete today um and and like we said this is more of a, a a a signal that the industry sends rather than anything yeah yeah well maybe we'll have to hop back on the horn after he shows his thing (laughs) yeah and and take a look at it we'll see yeah so i have a feeling we're going to be doing more of these (laughs) it seems yeah i hope so i hope so (laughs) the things happen like every week um that's been great great uh thank you for for joining me amy thank you for having me thank you to everyone for listening talk soon bye You've been listening to the Style Zeitgeist podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc, intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Thank you for listening.